Hello there, and welcome to yet another episode of The Partial Historians. I am part of the team, Dr. Radford. <laughs> and I am Dr. Greenfield. So we're continuing on looking at sort of legitimate and illegitimate women. This episode is going to be <laughs> the slightly more fun <laughs> side of things. Well, yeah, yeah. So now we're, we're moving on from Matrona. Goodbye. Goodbye See you wives. later. Goodbye, legitimate Goodbye, married women. Goodbye, legitimate women. <laughs> Bye. Uh, and now we move on to uh, prostitutes. Yes. Uh, you know, Women who lived on the edge. Well, <laughs> they say it's the oldest industry, and uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, Rome had some. Yes. Uh, so, uh, what do we know about prostitutes? Well, as it turns out, not a lot. Uh, funnily yeah. enough, they didn't write any books about their experience. Uh, no, no belle de jour. No. <laughs> Sad face. Yes. Yeah, so we, we're sadly lacking in sort of primary source material yes. from the group that we're interested in. Yes, because even if they were in that minority, in that they were highly successful, wealthy prostitutes, mm, mm. even if they were in that category, they're still outside the boundaries of polite society. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there is a point at which uh, I'm not sure that people would necessarily, at the time, have wanted to read things that they had written, no. even if they had written them. True. Uh, so most of our evidence for prostitution in ancient Rome comes from legal texts. Yes. And... And this leaves us with a sort of a very sort of fringe mm. examination of the rights of prostitutes and um, the intricacies of what's permitted and not permitted from a business perspective. Yeah, it's kind of it's obviously kind of dealing with ideal situations, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we end up particularly we get things from from uh, the Augustan period that are going to interest us. Yes, uh, we ha- we have touched on a little bit previously of. Augustus's moral reform legislation that comes in in sort of uh, 19 BC and throughout up until about 14 AD Mm -hmm. we see variations on his moral legislation. Some of the things that come up in that moral reform are edicts associated with prostitution. Yes. Uh, mostly they're to do with who cannot be a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you think to yourself, I'm down on my luck, life's hard, prostitution might be an easy way to earn some cash. <laughs> and then Augustus says, oh no, citizen lady, I don't think so. That would be very wrong of you. <laughs> so, yeah, and so since we've talked a little bit about the way in which uh, citizen women are seen to hold the honour of their family within their own sexual bodies. Yes. It's perhaps unsurprising that we see this legislated uh, into Augustus's laws where we have this uh, distinct set of situations where a woman, if she is of a particular citizen standing, cannot become a prostitute yeah. unless she wants to negate her family position. Yes. So she could, if she really wanted to, uh, abrogate all of her ties to her birth family or her husband's family. Yep. In which case she'd be free to become a prostitute. Yep. But she could never go back to being a citizen woman. Yes, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's yeah. giving... I mean, obviously, you know, what she has is what a lot of people want. You know, they want to be... Definitely. And definitely. Yeah. And yet what we see is evidence of some women protesting about the nature of this legislation to such a point that they do, as a protest actually say, well, no, I forget my family. I am becoming a prostitute. What are you going to do about <laughs> yeah. it? And, and set themselves up in really nice... You may be the emperor of us, you can't stop me. <laughs> I want to do it, and I want to do it with whoever I want. So, 
you can forget it, Daddy-o. Yeah. <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. Yeah. And there's also um, laws forbidding senators from marrying prostitutes, isn't there? Yeah, you know, yeah. the age-old... I mean, forget Richard Gere and, yeah. and all of the, the romance, you know. <laughs> they don't find that charming. They no. don't find that charming. No. <laughs> you can't find one that happens to be a little bit pretty and slightly clean. Yeah. And, and think to yourself, if I dress her up right, nobody will ever know she came from a low-class <laughs> family. <laughs> There's no Pygmalion. <laughs> no, no transformation. No, no, no. pretty women. Uh, so, no. And, and obviously that whole idea of um, illegitimate sex, because it, it sort of ties mm. into adultery a bit as well, because yeah, yeah. women are crossing a line if they become adulteresses. <laughs> yeah, well, this is where we get one of those really good double standards from the Romans. Yes. Uh, so for women, if women have sex outside the bounds of marriage, that's considered adultery. Yep. If men engage in sex outside of the bounds of marriage with a prostitute, that's not adultery. With a slave, that's not, not adultery. That's not adultery. No. no. Uh, <laughs> it could be a game show. <laughs> Is that adultery? <laughs> that's not adultery. <laughs> yeah. And so for the woman, anything, anybody other than her husband, it's adultery. Yes. Now, and the husband has far more leeway. Yeah. Anything, it's obviously, it's really only a big deal if a Roman man is sleeping with a married citizen woman or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 If he sleeps with another citizen man's wife, yeah. so other citizen women, all of a sudden, that's adultery. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> ding, someone, ding, I think ding, we could ding. say it's someone who matters. Prostitutes <laughs> and slaves don't matter. <laughs> Ouch. You wound me. Yeah. <laughs> We're discussing prostitutes, and now you're telling me they don't matter. That's all right. How that's did right. this topic even come up on the podcast? Uh, yeah, so basically, yeah, if she's of some standing, then it's a big deal. Otherwise, yeah. can yeah. just slide by. Although there are obviously certain... Oddly enough, there are sources where there are male writers saying, you know what, it's actually probably not great to cheat yeah. In marriage at all. Well, we get these. Whether you're a man or a woman. We do get a, a lot of uh, the later legal writings. Yes. So things that are coming from sort of uh, second century AD. So yeah. jumping ahead well into the imperial period. Sure. We do start to see a change in attitudes. Yeah. And perhaps even earlier, a sort of uh, a hesitant sort of uh, change in attitude from Seneca. Yes, I was going to say Seneca. Yes, yeah, who's yeah. writing under Nero, so mm. sort of like mid-first century AD. Yeah, end of the Julio-Claudian period. Where, where yeah. we start to see men uh, recognising the double standards. Yes. First of all, I mean, like, you know, women don't have a very good lot here. <laughs> uh, we can't really expect them to be faithful if we're shagging everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't really seem nice. Yeah, because that's sort of, and it's also, also maybe in sort of, philosophical circles like yes. the Stoics and that yeah, sort of thing, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, they, they do recognise it. Yeah. 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 For, on principle, uh, if we take uh, all people as human yes. and, and consider gender as something that just happens or is, you know, why should they be treated any differently? Yeah. Um, and that's quite amazing, really, because you don't really expect to find that attitude because so, Roman men can be social. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and the system works so much in their favour that that for most men, you wouldn't even think about it because why would you? It's exactly. Like, you've got the privilege. You make the rules. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're in the scenario of male privilege of mm. that sort of degree, there's no need to question yes. the legitimacy of it. I mean, you're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I think actually, interestingly, one of the Augustan laws, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is, again, off the top of my head, um, it does actually say that if a woman is caught committing adultery, this law says the husband has to divorce her, <laughs> otherwise he's considered her pimp and therefore open to prosecution <laughs> himself. Totes. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, he's open to being prosecuted himself, so the idea that they're legis you know, that they're actually legislating 
Yeah. That. I mean, goodness me, good, heaven forbid that you should be in such a loving relationship with your wife <laughs> that you decide to forgive her for exactly. sleeping with somebody else. I don't think so. <laughs> no, sir, you're a pimp. That's right. So it's the idea that if you have to legislate that, well, doesn't that imply that perhaps men aren't divorcing their adults? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, I mean that's, the, that's always the deal with when you've got legislation. Le- mm. Legislation is, by its nature, reactionary. Yes. And so there has to have been an example of somebody who's like, well, I don't really want to divorce it, yeah. to be honest. I, I mean, mean course, I know it's bad, and I'm we, yeah, pretty mad at it. If we want to be cynical, we could <laughs> say that this does not necessarily indicate that he loves his wife, but that he doesn't want to give up well, whatever benefits come Maybe with she being... comes from a much better family exactly. than him. Yeah. Maybe it's Maybe she's him. rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. he needs the cash. Yeah. You know, there's, there could be all sorts of factors. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the other thing. Roman women could be wealthy. Uh, yes. We talked a little bit about how vestal virgins had unique rights with regards to property, property and, and making their own wills and that sort of thing, um, because they didn't have that, you know, that overseeing patriarchal. They didn't have the. They, they didn't. didn't have, yeah, yeah, they didn't operate under patria potestas. Yes, this power of the father. Yeah. But Roman women weren't exempt from having any personal wealth. You know, they, no. they could... They... And it mostly develops sort of ad hoc through legal loopholes. Yes. Uh, as the the sort of the late Republic progresses. Absolutely. And, and because... I also read somewhere that it could have been also a bit of a an accident <laughs> in that so many men died in like, pretty severe conflicts like yeah. the Punic Wars. You didn't have many options. You, you didn't have, have a female. Yeah, there. someone had to inherit it. I suppose, yeah. I suppose, sweetheart, <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, I could not find a male. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even find one to adopt. Yeah, so they might not have been happy about this situation, but mm. it certainly seems to have come about that yeah, there definitely. were wealthy Roman women. You know, it's, I mean, concluding that paragon, <laughs> Cornelia, she seems ah, to have been yes. from a very wealthy family. Well, she's the daughter of Scipio Africa. Africanus. Yes. I mean, the famous, the famous Roman general who eventually defeats Carthage. Mm. Um, so she comes from a family that's got huge political military clout. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, she becomes the mother of the famous Gracchi brothers. Yeah, so she marries this guy Gracchi. Nobody knows who he is. <laughs> Presumably, he's somebody. But you know, Whatever. she has twelve children by this guy. I mean, she's. <laughs> Seriously, a baby factory. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, the Romans <laughs> love her. <laughs> yeah. So, she's a woman with proven fecundity. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you've got all of this focus on having legitimate children in the first place, imagine how great it is if you have, like, 50 of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a feat, actually, when you think about surviving 12 childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing. I mean, it's not, it's not like modern society where there's so many... Uh, precautions in place to save you. I no. mean, the dangers of childbirth are, are real. real. Yeah. And... and and can be fatal. Yeah. And she survives 12 of these pregnancies. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, her children don't fare so well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, well, you know, it's a bit hit and miss in the ancient world, isn't exactly, it? And yeah. There's no immunization. No. Uh, there's no guarantee that they won't catch a cold and die on No, you. so she winds up with three kids out of the 12 surviving yeah. to adulthood. Yeah. Well, you know, One daughter and two sons. Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Not bad. I mean, two <laughs> sons. That's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, two sons. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, and she becomes, you know, she becomes quite legendary in that she, you know, takes care of their education, um, which obviously serves them well. Mm. Um, she boasts that, you know, she doesn't wear, she needs no jewels. She 
you know, because her, her children are her jewels. Yeah, she she lives a very austere lifestyle. I'm, yes. I mean, on the other hand, she also emotionally manipulates those children, <laughs> saying, you know I'm famous for being the daughter of Africanus, not the mother of the Gracchi. Hint, hint. Hello, boys. <laughs> Get your act together. Isn't that a shock that they both died <laughs> pursuing radical political moves? <laughs> One day we'll do an episode of yes, yes. too. Anyway, so yeah, you have this idea that... And then, of course, she doesn't remarry. She's... um. You know, she's Univera. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, she's yeah. she's uh, very so Cornelia, yeah. really not a prostitute. No. So how are we going to tie this back no. to our topic? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but she was a you know a famous example of like legitimacy. Yes. Um, for sure. Yeah. Whereas you and you know she's often held up as you know there's even a statue of her and that sort of thing, mm. and yet she doesn't seem to be the norm. You know, there no. particularly when we get into late Republic, early Empire, there are these laws which are trying to promote childbirth as being a good yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, we can see the Augustan yeah. moral legislation as a way of trying to legislate to create people like Cornelia. Exactly. Yeah. And so Cornelia is somebody who she lives all throughout the second century yep. BC, mm. and so she's she's sort of on the precipice of what turns into sort of the late Republic. The late Republic. Yeah. And so she stands up as like a sort of a generational uh, moment, a piece of, a person of virtue that all Roman women should aspire towards. Yes. And, and the yes. legislation <laughs> under Augustus is trying to create that, forcibly create women yes. to be like her yeah. in a way. Exactly. To keep the, keep the bloodlines pure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let any low born people in like prostitutes, <laughs> like slaves, senators should not be marrying these people. Mm-hmm. And likewise, citizen women mm. should be marrying and having Lots and lots of babies. Yeah, and I think... And not committing at all <laughs> along the way. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and I think, importantly, you've talked about uh, sort of Cornelia's austere manner of dressing herself and Absolutely. looking after herself. That, yes. that idea that uh, a good and true and virtuous Roman woman doesn't need to put on a show. No. And that comes down to also what you were saying before in the, um, you know, how a Roman woman should control her body, as mm. in she shouldn't be inviting sexual attention. Well, this you know, is where... She's allowed out in public. Yeah. There, there is a really strong visual language in Roman culture. Yes. You should, theoretically, be able to identify everybody's social, uh, political, citizen status just by looking at what they wear. Yeah, actually, I have a really good quote um, about that from an article I was reading about um, about dress uh, it's mm-hmm. by Olson. And she says, What authors in general describe is an ideal sartorial situation in which all citizens wear the toga, all equites the gold ring, all married women the stola, no one ornaments himself above his status, and the social order is both immediately apparent and ultimately immutable. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this is the same sort of thing that we're seeing with the Vestal Virgins as yes, well. With absolutely. their distinctive hairstyle and yep. distinctive headdress. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be, it's a, it's a way of parlaying social status into a really easy to to see and uh, and understand language. Absolutely. So that everybody understands immediately their where they, place yep, and they how are. they should interact with these people. Yeah. So when you see a violation of this, yes. uh, and increasingly this is what the late Republic tends to represent, is a relaxation of all of these types of um, processes, this visual language starts to break down. Absolutely, because that's just it. I mean, the stola... Even though it is perhaps you know the you know what an ideal Roman <laughs> matron would be wearing, and I think, guess we should clarify this point. Nobody's really quite sure what a stola no. is. <laughs> Whatever it is, I whatever mean, a stola yeah, is, it like, seems maybe to be like a long... part of the headdress, a yeah. little bit that sits over your tunic or some something. Yeah, it's a piece of fabric. Basically, the ideal Roman woman, as far as we sorry Roman matron, as far as we can tell, is wearing a costume that 
basically covers her up pretty yeah, yeah. pretty well. Uh, it's a bit drapey, but it covers her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not revealing a lot. No. Um, Very modest. But that's the, you know, the sort of ideal that's sort of trying to be hammered home because it seems like women aren't necessarily <laughs> dressing like this. Um, and yes. this is, I suppose we could also talk about what prostitutes are allegedly wearing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I think this is where it gets really nice and transgressive for us. Yes. I mean... So you've got the Roman matron wearing the stola. Now, not anyone can wear the stola. You, you really... What? Yeah, I know. I what? Know. <laughs> this unattractive piece of clothing, as far as we can tell, um, is associated with a particular class of women. Boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duh. So, <laughs> so if you are a prostitute, if you have crossed that line, um, you can't be wearing that. You can't be getting about like that. And so there is this associate association between the Roman prostitute and... The toga, <laughs> all things, <laughs> which is what a hey Roman, boys. yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. how to get into this, thing. <laughs> exactly. which is what um, a Roman male citizen presumably is wearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the toga, the toga is quintessentially the senator's garment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it has a really high status value when worn by a man. Absolutely. And then you know it gets into a lot of intricacies with what sort of border does your toga have because mm. that determines within the senatorial class what position you hold. Absolutely. And all this sort of jazz. So the toga has this very uh, masculine. Uh, visual sense about it and and then all of a sudden we start to see evidence of prostitutes in togas yes and I mean it seems it's, it's as you say the evidence is just so sparse I mean mm. you know there's very little obviously artwork in which we can say that's prostitute yeah. <laughs> there's a hooker <laughs> it's not a fancy dress party that's yeah. real life that's right exactly <laughs> toga party yes, <laughs> Did uh, you know that every time you go to a toga party as a woman, you're dressing yourself as a prostitute? <laughs> it ties in rather well, I think, with the general the general atmosphere. I'm going to have to rethink my whole costume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it, it, it's the idea that um, you know, if a woman was wearing a toga, that um, she would be yeah, basically advertising herself as advertising her wares. Yeah. However, again, this seems to be a bit of an ideal, or you know, something that's symbolic mm. um, because. The references to women wearing togas um, in the literature is just, it's its very unclear. Um, so, for example, we've got Marshall, mm-hmm. um, who's a bit later in, yeah, he's, he's em- in the yeah, Empire. Yeah, he's basically yeah. a poet who indulges in the obscene. Yeah, uh, I think might be the quickest way of which is why we like him so much um, uh, he basically in one of his epigrams he basically tells a friend off for giving a notorious adulteress dresses of purple and scarlet and he says that instead she deserves a toga so it's basically the idea yeah, that yeah, yeah she's a whore uh, and that's what whores wear but mm. It's not actually saying, you know, that whores definitely all wear togas. Oh, yeah. But, you, you know, know, it gets to the point where it's like, well, what are you going to do with evidence like that? Presumably, it's well ingrained enough in Roman society that, yes. that symbolically prostitutes wear togas. Exactly. So you only need a few women running around in a toga yes. in the city itself to make that legitimate. And and if enough people, like, presumably he's, this is a joke, and it's meant for an audience who will recognise the joke. Absolutely. And in order to recognise the joke, they must recognise the symbol. Absolutely. And so it's more the idea that if you're talking about a woman wearing a toga, you're talking, you know, you're saying that she is a whore. Yeah. Whether she actually takes She might not be sex. physically, yeah. yeah, she might not be physically wearing a toga. She might not actually be a prostitute. But if you say the woman is wearing a toga, you're basically saying she's a whore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and there's also, you know, that anxiety that sort of comes through the literature a little bit that <laughs> upper class women were perhaps dressing a little like 
Um, I forgot almost, or perhaps vice versa. Of well, you know, I mean, the conspicuous display of wealth, I think it's difficult to get around because on the yes. one hand, well, you, there's a point at which, uh, I don't know, I mean, this is going to be sounding terribly stereotypical and, <laughs> and generic, but women do like to show off to each other. Yeah, and, and definitely, you know, okay, you've got this ideal like Cornelia, but as we said, you know, that was not for every woman. There were plenty mm. of Roman women who seemed to have been quite happy to well, dress yeah. up. And we definitely yeah. have, we have the example from uh, the, I think it's the Middle Republican period, where yes. there's a legislation brought in where they want the women to give up all of their jewellery. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in order to pay for the war chest. In fact, I think it's, yeah, they're doing, it's during the pun- during the Punic Wars because the the Romans have fallen on hard times they're like we need to fund the war and they're like ladies you're going to have to start contributing because we don't have enough cash to pay for the troops you're Um, going to have to give up your luxuries yeah and you shouldn't be going around decked out in gold not not to mention that you shouldn't be wearing the gold in the first place because it makes you look like a whore (laughs) Um, you know so you know they were trying the stick and the carrot there surely exactly Um, yeah what they thought was the stick and the carrot and supposedly the women get together and get really upset oh understandably you know it's sort of sort of like no taxation without representation the women are like uh, hello, do I ever get to hold public office? When do I ever get to, like, have any benefit yeah. of being Roman? It's yeah, like, like you... sorry, boys, it's really sad, but I'm not giving up a gold jewellery. Yeah, <laughs> you can want this gold all you like, but unless you're going to improve my conditions, this war effort is your business Absolutely. and not mine. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's definitely evidence that women like to dress up. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, you've got people like Seneca, who we talked about a bit before, um, talking about, you know, women who wear makeup. And mm-hmm. who wear, you know, who, who adorn themselves, you know, yeah. wear, wear, you know, fancy and, clothes. And wear... obviously makeup is, again, an extension of that same sort of Absolutely, yeah. adornment that they're getting that dressed up. Yeah, exactly. Do. If they're dressing like that, well, you know, the face of such a woman was <laughs> proof of her shamelessness. <laughs> Oops, did I mistake you for a whore? Yeah. My bad. Maybe you shouldn't dress like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, whether, I mean, who knows? Who knows how the fashion dynamics worked <laughs> in the Roman world? Well, you know, we see that same thing, that that example of Postumia and Manukia, those two vestals who are are sort of lambasted for being sort of dressed provocatively. And we don't really know what that means in in practical terms. I mean, presumably it means the the colours, the fabrics. You know, the fabrics I think they definitely refer to occasionally, like, Mm. you know, silks not being appropriate, you know, because... Maybe she decided to spice up the costume with a little bit of jewellery. Yeah, know? exactly, yeah. Maybe she decided to paint her face. But, you know, this this sort of thing, it comes up again and again. Yeah, and it's definitely, I mean, obviously I'm presuming that, you know, a good virtuous woman would wear wool and gold. <laughs> <laughs> Not sexy silks. <laughs> Did I mention that they scratch? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I just don't want to. And I mean, of course, you know, you come back to, you know, good old Ovid who, you know, likes to have a bit of fun and... <laughs> with the uh, with the social <laughs> social norms. What has he done and, this you know, time? You have him saying things like, you know, be far from here, you signs of purity, thin vitae and long stola that co- that covers the feet. <laughs> so presumably, you oh, know, it I've could... seen a touch of ankle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be, you know, what they're covering up, you yeah, know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. We don't really know, but um, yeah, there is definitely this association with women who are up to no good 
being, yeah, yeah. Yeah, being a dormant, to. A dormant equals yep. questionable behaviour. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to, but, the, to the point that perhaps prostitution. Exactly. I mean, but does it seem to bother our Roman ladies? Not no, terribly not really. Much. No. I mean, they just keep doing what they do. No. Um, I mean, there aren't too like many Cornelius. Like all good women yeah. throughout time. They're like, I hear you, I hear you, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drop to the hand, baby. Yeah, because there aren't too many more Cornelius that pop up. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, Augustus tries to fashion Livia into something of a... Oh, look, Olivia would, would be that, that quintessential example, but I think... I'm like, we'll be dealing with her later on. Yeah, absolutely. And she's not quite, she never quite makes it She to never Cornelia's. reaches the lofty heights of Cornelia. No, no not quite. Uh, of course, she is on her. <laughs> she's she's not on her first marriage now, is she? <laughs> mm, yeah, she does marry a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, that might be a good place to wrap up our discussion yeah, yeah. of the women who walk the streets. So unfortunately, we know very little about. And of course, you know, the very bottom of the heap, you know, the women who you know, we're very low-class prostitutes we know so little about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, obviously when we're dealing with prostitution, we're largely dealing with slave women. Yes. And, and that leaves us in a really sort of difficult evidential position. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, they're, they're obviously, there seem to be at least um, women who, you know, wouldn't even have had the security of a brothel, yeah. you know, to practice yeah. um, their trade in. I mean, basically the lowest form of whore is, you know, like a naked whore. So not yeah. not even wearing a toga. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's always that, you know, that famous example that um, fornication comes from the Roman term for archway because this is, <laughs> this is where oh. the lowest form of yeah, prostitute yeah. would be, you know, practicing yeah. their trade. Yeah. Just pulling some guy <laughs> to the nearest. Coming to my archway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't just mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the, the evidence unfortunately is few and far between. The yeah, further down really the scale quite you scant. Go. But uh, yeah, it, it's a very interesting topic, and it's certainly one that uh, probably it might be worth coming back to at some later stage as well. I'm sure prostitutes will pop up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. So farewell. Indeed, we'll see you next time. <laughs>